This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Pam on from Advanced RPO, and our discussion topic today is the invisible cost of open jobs. Can't wait to talk to uh, Pam about this and learn from her. So uh, without any further ado, Pam, would you introduce yourself and Advanced RPO? Thank you. Um, My name is Pam Verhoff, and I'm uh, the president of Advanced RPO. I've been in recruiting and talent acquisition for the majority of my career. Prior to starting Advanced RPO, I've worked in the RPO industry and primarily working with very large enterprise organizations. And we started Advanced RPO really to bring the expertise that we had in the industry to growing mid-sized companies. So Advanced RPO is, we really partner with clients to create recruiting scalability and workforce agility. And we do that through a a high touch, but technology enabled approach to talent acquisitions. So we look at each customer and their needs uniquely and uh, develop programs to, to move the needle wherever they are in their, in their talent acquisition journey. I love that. I love that on so many levels, but well, that's another podcast. Um, so with today's topic, it's the invisible cost of, of open jobs. You know, first of all, we need to unpack that for the leadership team. Like, okay, uh, if something's 21 days open versus, you know, 200 days open, what's the impact of that? And I, you know, I think, I think sales leaders, get this more often than not you know like sales people sales sales leaders are like you know every every day that someone's not there someone's not selling okay like right. they, i think they get it mm-hmm. it's the rest of the organization i'm worried about <laughs> exactly so, so uh and then you might have a different experience with sales folks but um how do you how do you talk to leaders about open jobs it's um and i think you're exactly right I think sales leaders, you know, they're they're so revenue focused, right? I think most of them, you know, look at revenue per employee per day as as um, a target they're look they're measuring, and so open ever for every day the job's open. It, it's an obvious um, formula for them. For other leaders, it is it's it's a much more gray area and. And, and we really try to help them understand the broader impact that it has on the organization. And, and I, I, I look at it as it's a really compounded issue. And if it's not addressed, the real costs of this to the organization, they, they multiply. So, you know, first and foremost, we, we start to work with hiring managers to help them understand, you know, what is the work that isn't getting done? Um, or if the work is getting done, who's doing it and what's that doing to the team? Um, you know, clearly if 
most jobs, right? The work does have to get done. So um, teams get stretched. And when you really start to unpack that, um, you know, people are working long hours. That impacts their engagement. That impacts quality of work. Um, therefore, you know, the as quality goes down, your operational costs go up. Um, I could go on and on and on, but that's really where we start. How do you how do you kind of uh, dial in how long a job should be open? So again, some of this is managing expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Hiring managers aren't in there uh, or even paying attention to the market every day. Uh, Recruiters might not actually know exactly how long something should be open. How do you you get that expectation uh, kind of at least close to what it should be Mm -hmm. for them? We we look at it really functionally. So, you know, a an HR job, the average length that is open in a particular market is likely very different than a, you know, product manager or some I you know, an IT role. So um we we work with the hiring manager to understand where first of all, the job description itself. Is it a is it a job description for one role or is are they trying to pack three into one? Um, the more complex that becomes, right, the longer it will be to fill that role. How competitive are they in the marketplace? What's their employee their employee brand out in the marketplace and so on? So we take those factors and and when we you know kick off the the engagement or the 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 job with the hiring manager and we learn and dig into those details, that's when we really set expectations with regard to, um, you know, what to expect from a average time it should be um, filled. The other piece of that is a big piece of it, especially today is the process. You know, candidates in today's marketplace really have different expectations than they did even six months to a year ago. And helping managers understand that, you know, we need to be very intentional with every engagement with these candidates through the process in order to keep them engaged and interested in the role versus, um, you know, some some still have an old school mentality of we need to kind of run them through the multiple hurdles and talk to lots of different people and so on. Um, Today's candidate marketplace just isn't very tolerable of that. So, you know, we've nibbled around the edges of some of the invisible costs because like in technology, it's technical debt or potential uh, technical debt in sales, it's lost revenue. If it's in demand gen, it's lost leads. Like we can see kind of every moment that that person isn't there. Um, what other, what other aspects of, of, uh, of invisible, invisible costs should we be thinking about? Um, I, you know, I think about, <clears throat> and can't the engagement, I'll go back to that person that is the teams that are stretched, right? Their engagement um, decreases, their, the quality of work. They, um, social media is pretty critical in t- today's world. So, you know, the one unhappy employee goes out and shares that experience um, it, you know, it goes viral as does everything else. Right. And so that then impacts your ability potentially to recruit. And guess what? The harder it becomes to recruit, then the more extended you're, you know, you're going to extend the timeline to fill your roles. And, and it just, 
it just compounds. And, you know, we like, you know, we look at it as a, it's, it's a snowball and, and that snowball is, is going downhill. The bigger it gets, the more velocity it has, and it can become a, a just a significant issue. Um, and so it, those are the, the, the real costs that we're, we're talking with our customers about. I love that because you brought it back to engagement and morale and productivity. These are these are things that everyone in HR uh, and recruiting kind of understands, but they might not understand that the open job, the longer that the jobs are open, there's the cost of that job being open. Okay, that's we can calculate that. And then there's the cost for that job being open being kind of the burden of that work or mm-hmm. work being done or not done is fallen on everyone that's there. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do, uh, you know, again, it's kind of, it gets back to expectations and things like that. And you said something earlier that I wanted to kind of ask you about, because you said job descriptions, which always mm-hmm. kind of gets me into a place, but how do, how do you kind of recalibrate or, or help the hiring manager calibrate? Okay. You know, you want these 20 things. That's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. These 20 things are going to yield, you know, a thousand candidates. Uh, these five things are going to yield 15,000 candidates or, you know, mm-hmm. those are horrible numbers. But the idea is that getting them to understand what they put into a job description impacts the aperture in which you can then look mm-hmm. for candidates. Mm-hmm. So how right. do you, ha- how do you kind of walk them through that process? It's very similar to what you just described, right? It's, it's our hiring funnel. So you know, the more criteria that you require, the smaller the top of that funnel is. And, you know, the funnel, we, we look initially at just the skills available across, you know, across the globe, even in, in a lot of cases. And then depending upon the client, it may be that then you have to look geographically within their region. And, you know, that immediately impacts, um, you know, the top of that funnel. So, so helping them see that. And, and we use, we have um, access to a tremendous amount of market data. So we're sharing the supply and demand data with them. And the other, I think the key piece that um, often isn't considered with the hiring managers is who you're really competing for talent with. So um, oftentimes they think about only their competitors within the industry, but the reality is, um, you know, the the company across the street may be recruiting for the same skill sets. They may be in a different industry, but they're recruiting for the same skill sets. Therefore, they're you're competing for that talent, right? And so we bring that data to them and really walk through it to say, here's the reality: it's supply and demand. And then, and then you lay in, layer into that the compensation and how, you know, how competitive are they relative to the competition in the marketplace, and really work through that. Um, that's an, you know, we have to iterate that multiple times with hiring managers. Um, and but those that really trust and under, you know, spend the time to understand the data that's where we're really able to make an impact for these organizations because they, you know, then we do start to talk about, okay, what are your top three absolute must skills for this role and, and help them, you know, rewrite the job posting and perhaps the job description to then go out and, and really identify those individuals. And, you know, and, and oftentimes what happens is 
organizations start to understand where they need to develop training and, and you know, bring perhaps individuals into the organization at a bit of a lower level and then train, you know, so, so hiring to the capability as right. opposed to hiring to um, experience. Yeah, couldn't hit the director, could just couldn't find any. Uh, let's go get a manager. And then Absolutely. put them on a career path, put them in training and get them up to that level. Maybe maybe within six months, you can get them to that level with some really intense training. Um, I want to get your take on kind of like when the business looks at its year, because, you know, you, you do annual planning, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about your goals, your initiatives and, you know, all of all the things that you want to do. Some of that is also tied to some bonuses for some folks, especially leaders uh, in different positions. The, there's a relationship there with open jobs, right? So if, if you've got an engineering leader and their job is, you know, whatever, 40,000 lines of code that, that's got to be put out, if they've got open jobs and that those lines of code aren't written, it impacts, it could, you know, potentially could impact the initiatives, the goals, mm-hmm. the business as a whole, and their bonus, which we haven't talked about, but just... You know, there's kind of even a selfish thing to think about in getting these jobs filled is, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to help you be more successful at your job. Right, right. And, you know, what we have found is there are some organizations that um, are good at, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to call it gaming the system, but um, in some cases where they have the ability to contract out some of the work in mm-hmm. order to get the work done. Um, we notice if that's the case, they are sometimes not as motivated to get the position filled. Right. You know, when in reality, you know, we, even from a pure cost perspective and, you know, PL, there, there are, you know, some immediate impacts to filling that role with an internal, you know, long-term hire as opposed to a contractor. But, um, but absolutely. And, and I will be honest, we, you know, it, it, it's generally the relationships that we've been in for multiple years with our customers after a year or a year and a half is typically when we, we really start to understand how they're compensated, you know, from a bonus perspective and, and we work to then impact that. Um, we, we do our best and we try certainly to really understand that so that we, we can put goals in place to impact it directly. But oftentimes it just takes, you know, general relationships. It takes a while to gain the trust and, and understanding um, to open that up for us. It's interesting. We talked about morale earlier um, and, and, you know, there's, there's, a, you know, there's another aspect of morale is, uh, and I want to get your take on this is that if, if we're not, if we, if we can't have the inability to fill positions, it also, um, for a lot of folks, it doesn't show that we can, f- there's a career mobility mm-hmm. or internal mobility. Again, you know, we're, we're trying to fill it from the outside, uh, externally, but if, if we, even if we weren't, that job being open for months on end, it's sending another signal and probably an unintended signal to the rest of the team that there's not a path forward or a path to a different thing for them. So it impacts morale on kind of a, a number of different levels. Do you Absolutely. see some of the same things? Yes. And even, even to the point where sometimes there are individuals at a lower level that are actually asked to do that work 
right. the work of a higher level person. And there's, but there's, and, and so therefore it, it just, um, you know, that really drives morale down because individuals, you know, that are doing part of the job today may not be considered for the role, but yet they're expected to do some of the work. And, and that's where you really start to see, you know, that's going to drive turnover in the organization. And again, make this, this issue of aging requisitions, even a, a bigger issue. I, I, I wanted to ask you about aging requisitions because you, you know, first of all, in my mind, I think of this as like a real estate, like the real estate market, the way that they do, uh, the, how long the, the house has been on the market. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's externally, like you can get, you can look on realtor.com and you can actually see how long yeah. a particular thing has been on the market. <laughs> right. And uh, so it's interesting, you know, could we, or should we do that internally and think about, Hey, listen, if this, if this job has been on the market for 30 days, we've got to change something, something in the aperture of the job description, the comp, uh, whether or not it's remote or hybrid, like mm-hmm. something's got, it's just like if you were selling a home, if you're selling yep. a home, you put it out there for six months and no one, you didn't have any nibbles, you do something different. You right. might take it off the market, but right. you would do something different. What do, what do you see? What's the relationship there? Whether or not it's external or even, even internal. Absolutely. And that is a, that's a standard practice with our recruiting teams is that at, you know, at, and, and we determine this with our customers up front and, and, um, and it depends what types of roles, right. Sure. And what that increment is, right. But typically it's 30 to 45 days. And, and at that point, we, we do kind of um, surround it, if you will, um, mm-hmm. with, with a broader group to take a look and say, where are the challenges and why isn't it getting filled? And, and, and ap- coming out of that meeting, there has to be some change. To your point, we may close the job, close the requisition or rescope it and then repost it. But um, unless there are circumstances such as um, you know, a project that's priority. So the manager isn't able to free up time to interview or something, mm-hmm. you know, internally, um, you know, unless it's something like that, it, we do require that there be some change made in order to make progress on that requisition. And that's typically where we see the aha moments with hiring managers, right? Um, you know, oftentimes they've been in, they've been in this space for a long, you know, and they feel they're pretty, pretty, um, They've, you know, got compelling evidence to say, this is, I I know we can fill this role. We've always done it this way. And typically it's at, at that 30 to 45 day review that um, we, we get them to start to, to move and really make the right decisions in order to, to move the requisition to close. Do you see different stages in the funnel? So maybe we have a top of the funnel problem or we get down to, and you even mentioned it, hiring manager doesn't have time to interview as a, as a great example, or even further, you know, we get down to offer letters and for whatever reg, re, reason, our rejection uh, mm-hmm. you know, rate is really, really, really high. Uh, like, do y'all look at that? And then, especially at that 30 day mark or even, even sooner, do y'all, do y'all start to kind of analyze that and go, okay, here's where we, ha- here's where the problem is. Absolutely. And worst case scenario is problem is all three, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and we can typically identify the top of the funnel challenges pretty early in the in the search, right? Because we've got the market data, we know what right. they're looking for. Um, 
we really, you know, be at the onset of an engagement with our customers, that's where we address the process piece. So um, more often than not, it then becomes a how competitive we are in the market so that we get to that offer and looking at the data around the offers or candidates just falling out of the process and, and understanding why they're, they're falling out of the process. And, and, you know, I would say 70 to 80% of the time it's total compensation and, and, and I'll bucket into that, um, whether the position is remote hybrid or must be, you know, in person five days a week. Yeah, that's what I've, I've gotten the same feel. In fact, I've gotten comp, uh, with with some folks, I've gotten comp put second under remote yes. versus hybrid, which is really interesting. Um, you mentioned um, your employer brand and how it how these the the cost of open jobs could impact your employer brand because mm-hmm. people just talk. You know, people mm-hmm. are on Twitter or they're going Glassdoor or you know right. whatever else. They just uh, you you become um, you know not referenceable. Mm-hmm. And so people aren't, aren't referring you, which, you know, that, that happens all the time. Somebody else sees a job and goes, you know what, Janet would be really good at that. That right. stuff happens all the time. How, how do you give them advice on their employer brand? I mean, it's, you know, when, when they have a wonderful one, it's really easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, it makes, things, it makes things easier. But when you come into a situation, do you all audit the mm-hmm. employer brand and, mm-hmm. and kind of give them recommendations on how to make it better? Yes, absolutely. And that is, you know, actually during the sales process, we, that's part, that's part of our due diligence, if you will. And, um, and we bring that forth as we are talking about a potential solution with them. And, and so, you know, when we have, you know, when we go forth with an engagement, that's first and foremost is helping them improve the social plot, you know, their, their um, engagement scores on social. And, and, you know, we do that. There are the obvious, um, you know, have employees go out and, and, and share experiences and so on. Um, But, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, it's really holistic and that is not something that you can change quickly. Um, it's, you know, just as our own, um, it's like trying to change you, the perception others have of you overnight. It, it doesn't happen because we, we build those perceptions over time. And it's a result of, a, you know, multiple posts in this case. So, um, so we really look for opportunities. Um, and when we go out and, and engage candidates on behalf of our customers, sharing positives, sharing what's happening with the organization, you know, strategic initiatives, growth initiatives, and so on. So um, to override and and get them excited about what's happening within the organization, as opposed to relying. And and there is always some percent of of posts or Glassdoor reviews and so on that are just disgruntled employees, right? right? And so, um, so we just work with them to understand all the, all the great things happening within the organization. And then we are sharing and and going out to the market with those um, very positive, exciting things. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've had the experience that's kind of your falls into your 70, 30, 80, 20 kind of rule of uh, if it's all positive candidates, don't believe it. Right. And if it's all negative candidates, don't believe it. So if there's a little bit of negative sentiment, it's like, well, okay, it becomes more believable. Now, 
there's a threshold. If it's mm-hmm. if it's if it's if it's heavily indexed and it's negative, uh, then then and, and no one's really managing it, and nurturing the conversations and t- you know responding to people and things like that. Then uh, then, then then that's just going to be a negative experience. Last question, and this is just I want to get your take on this, is because we haven't talked about this particular part of kind of the invisible cost and maybe the impact of those open jobs on HR and TA you know, professionals. So you know, you're managing many jobs and, and uh, that you, your job is open for six months. What's that emotional toll that's, that oh. gets, gets levied on you know, the HR teams and the, H, and the recruiting right. teams? Right. Um, it, it, it's huge. And what it does, it, it, it distracts, it distracts mm. the HR team from really working on those strategic initiatives that they should be focused on. Um, and, and, and that is, that's a very real cost because hiring is emotional to, yeah. for every hiring manager. Right. And so therefore when things aren't going well, um, it, it can become all consuming. And in, in some cases, you know, we see like heavy turnover in HR and talent acquisition organizations at, because of it, um, because they just simply don't have this, you know, this, everything I've talked about takes, it takes resources and a strategy to go out and actually do all of these things. And oftentimes, you know, HR and TA teams just don't simply don't have the resources to do it really well. Um, and therefore it, be, you know, it, it just distracts and takes away from what they should be doing and drives again, it goes, and now guess what? It drives people out of the organization and, you know, it, it, um, compounds this issue that we're talking about. It almost seems like in, in that situation becomes an unwinnable game. Right. Whenever something becomes kind of an unwinnable or untenable kind of situation, it's like uh, it's easier to do something else because uh, it just it's too much emotionally. Um, Pam, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for talking about this particular topic because I haven't covered it yet, and uh, I think it's really important for folks to talk about. It is great. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you this afternoon. Vice versa, and thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.